Hello friends, welcome to the After Hours Lounge, welcome back if you are a regular listener. My name is Sandy, I am your host and I'm very excited to be here, uh, very excited to be doing another episode. Um, I've taken a couple of weeks off, not because I meant to or anything, but um, I didn't really have any guests lined up. Uh, my mental health took a bit of a beating really, I, I felt a bit rubbish for a, a week or so, um, so I was like, I just don't, I don't feel up to sitting and talking about this kind of thing um which i think is is part part of the job you know when when you kind of sign up to to do this and talk about mental health and i know i know of course i don't just talk about mental health but you know there is always that undertone of talking about how to be happy and and things like that and obviously when i'm having a bit of a bad time it's quite difficult for me to be you know enthusiastic about and stuff so anyway i took a couple of weeks off and actually ended up in a way being a a good thing because i I feel much better now for anyone uh wondering but also um i've been really busy uh, with cool stuff, obviously, like but planning some some cool things for later in the year. Uh, my my day job has got a bit busier, things things like that. Um, so yeah, just took a couple of weeks off, but yeah, recorded a few podcasts over the last week, um, and I'm really excited to bring you the first one today, and that is with uh, a man called Patrick Patrick Venn. He is the founder of Tommy Academy, uh, which is essentially financial coaching. Um, for employees but not the financial coaching that you're thinking of it's not uh, old men in suits telling you what you need to do with your money and that you need to get a mortgage and stuff Um, it's very aimed at younger people and trying to make it trying to break the stigma of talking about money Uh, in the same similar sort of vein that I am trying to break the stigma talking about mental health um, that's exactly what Patrick's trying to do, but with his finances, um, coming from his own personal experiences with being in a lot of debt um, and having to have difficult conversations within his relationship, um, which he talks about very openly, which I really commend him for. And it's really awesome that he does that um, to now being in a really good position himself. And he's just trying to pass on, you know, what he's learned. Um, and it was really great to talk to him. We both come from two very different worlds. You know, Patrick uh, started off in the very corporate world, uh, earning an awful lot of money and, and is now obviously you know running this startup. And yeah, he seems to be doing very well for himself. But um, where, whereas I kind of came from leaving school at 18 and I, I immediately went and, and just became a windsurfing instructor and traveled the world essentially for 10 years. And, and now I'm starting to build a, a business and, and things like that. So it's quite, it was really interesting talking to him about it. And, and I think he's right. I think being open about your finances is really important. And I said in the, in the podcast, I've only really got one friend that I, and I've got a few, quite a few really, really close friends, or I would consider really close friends, but only one of them will I sit and very happily talk openly about money with. And I think he's fairly similar um, with me. So it's quite interesting. And especially, you know, with men, and we're getting better with the mental health thing. We're still not there, but there is this huge conversation. And unfortunately, money does kind of make the world go round as much as we like to sit there and think it doesn't buy happiness and all this stuff like, like it does. And it does hugely affect our mental health. They're very intertwined our financial well-being and our mental well-being um, and, and and we do have to look after both of them and in turn they kind of look after each other um, you know I, I've lived with nothing uh, you know in Greece getting paid a few hundred quid a month um, you know still having to buy my own food living off pesto pasta and I had the best time of my life I'm not a materialistic person anything like that but I still recognize that money is important and it's important that we have these conversations so with that being said um, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Patrick Venn. Please let me know if you enjoy it. If you do, please like, share, subscribe, all the usual uh, stuff on the podcast platforms or on Instagram, putting in your story, anything like that makes such a difference. And let me know if you guys are enjoying it and, and what kind of conversations you'd like to see me having in the future. Um, yeah, a little bit from me. But anyway, on with the episode. Uh, enjoy. Uh, I suppose there's only one place for me to uh, kick this off, Patrick, and that's with the age-old saying, uh, they say money doesn't make you happy. Um, I know you've written about this on LinkedIn a few times, but I, I suppose it's the best place for, for me to start because I've, I've obviously got my own opinions on it, but what are your thoughts on that quote just being thrown around so much? I 
I kind of challenge it a little bit. I think it does to a certain extent and then it doesn't. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a certain tipping point we get to. I mean, all of us don't want to consistently struggle, live like sort of mouth to mouth each month, always stressing, always worrying about money. So there is a certain level of sort of lifestyle that I think, and it's different for all of us, right? What that actually is. But I think there is a point where a little bit more can actually make you happier and bring you from maybe an area of struggling to maybe a bit more stability. And that can really bring a lot of happiness. And there's been studies done that says sort of the sweet spot. And I think it's a U.S. study that's been done. The kind of sweet spot is around that 70,000. Yeah, that's what I read. Yeah. Is like this kind of where the, it's significant diminishing returns after that, like the doubling that 70 to 140 doesn't double your happiness. The, yeah. There's severe diminishing returns on your happiness beyond that. So I think to summarize, like I kind of think money does bring you happiness to a certain extent, but you should always be aware and conscious of that constant pursuit of more because it won't bring you endless happiness. Yeah, I um, uh, yeah, that's kind of that's awesome actually. I I completely agree with that as well. I think often people that say that are perhaps a little bit naive, um, and I think it is quite easy and it's nice and you know spiritual. And there is a certain trend, especially at the moment, you know, the state of the world of being almost you know anti-capitalism and being like, no man, we don't need money and all this. And it's like, well, actually, Extreme you know, frugality, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm like, I, do you know what? Actually, it helps, and and it. it in spirit, in the spirit of what we're talking about today, I'll, I'll, I'll openly say this: I'm I'm earning more money now than I've ever earned in my life. Um, I I spent majority of my twenties, I'm thirty now, as a windsurfing instructor, earning a few hundred quid a month, having my accommodation paid for, earning nothing. And sometimes I think I was happier then, but at the same time, earning a, more money is is pretty cool. You know, you don't worry about things like going out on a night out. I used to go out on a night out. And I'd be like, no, no, I won't have a starter. I won't do this. I think what money does, and my mom and you know, my mom said this uh, as well, is money doesn't necessarily bring you happy happiness, but it can bring you a lot more comfort. You know, things like, do you know what? Actually, I will pay to sit up at the front of the plane so I get a bit more leg room. I will pay a, a tenner at the airport to have some nice food before I get on the plane. It, it's li- it's the little things like that that just make daily life more comfortable where actually having a bit more money is, is kind of great, you know? Yeah. I love some of those examples, like how kind of specific they were, right? Like more leg room at the front yeah. of the plane, things like that. And when you get really into the weeds of that, that is sort of elements to what is your rich life as, as Sandy, like those little elements. So I do love the fact that you're kind of conscious of those, but, but I agree. It does bring you more comfort and security. And along with that is a lot of happiness for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you, you actually um, quoted on your, on your website. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, you know, what, what you actually do after, after this, but um, the quote at the bottom of your website is money doesn't buy you happiness. Money buys you options. Um, and that's something that I, I really resonated with. Can you, can you kind of go into that a little bit more? Yeah. So one of the things I like to do with uh, employees I work with on their finances is what I call like the house analogy. So imagine for a second that I asked you to build your dream home. But there's a couple caveats, right? I've only given you a couple materials to work with, like some wood, hammer nails, saw. That's pretty much it. Yeah. The best case scenario, if you're good with DIY, I'm terrible with DIY, but the best case scenario you could build is like a one-story pretty shitty wood cabin. That's probably it with those materials. So let's take this one step further. Let's say I actually introduce a few more materials now to build your dream home. Suddenly you have, we were working with power tools, You've got access to like glass and other materials. Suddenly the options to build this dream home suddenly kind of expand for you. You have more at your disposal. And if you take the analogy one step further, you remove all limitations. You've got a crew working with you there. You've got every tool under the sun, every piece of material under the sun. Suddenly you can build that dream home in the exact way that you truly did want it. And so I think one of the building blocks of life is money. It's what we all use to construct our lives. So if we want to build our sort of best life or our dream life, the more money we have available just gives us more options to build that house, if you will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, going back to I think it is one of those things. And and I was in it for years of like, you know, everyone always saying to me, 
all these people would come out and, and um, you know, I teach them to windsurf in their week, week or two of holiday. They take a year and then they'd go back to London or wherever they live. And they'd all say to me, oh, wh- when are you going to get a proper job then? And, and that always really frustrated me because I was like, you're paying thousands and thousands of pounds to come out and do what you love. And I'm helping you get better at what you love doing. But it's not considered a proper job purely based on the fact that I'm not earning much money, you know. And, and, and like you said, and, and what you said there, it's, it, 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 I think it's so dependent on the person, isn't it? And, and what they want to do. And at that point in my life, my, we'll get into the currency a bit later, but my, my amount that I was like, yeah, cool, this is working for me, was, was what I was getting paid there. And that was their amount. But unfortunately, I was almost judged, I suppose, on it. And, and I, I suppose that's part of our culture as well. Um, but I like the the house the house analogy. You you mentioned there that you when you're working with employees. So can you go into? It? I realize we, we perhaps should have done this at the start. But anyway, the people <laughs> people will have heard it in the intro anyway. Um, but what what is it you um, what is it you do, and how is it that you help people with with all this kind of money stuff? Yeah, so I think maybe what would be a great time is to actually tell how I got to this point, and then like how how we're working with employees at companies. Absolutely. So about five, six years ago, I was absolutely terrible at managing money, like really bad. Like I had 20 grand in student debt, the credit card debt, you know, all of it combined is probably about 20,000 pounds in debt. I was constantly feeling like stressed and anxious about money. You mentioned that quote of like, should I get the starter or should I not at the restaurant? Like those were all things going through my head on like a weekly, if not daily basis. And there was one moment in life, I call it the most embarrassing day of my life. So what better way to kind of introduce myself to the podcast listeners yes. and tell your most embarrassing story. Uh, but I invited my new girlfriend at the time to be like my plus one at my best mate's wedding. And she suggested that we stop and get him a cash gift, as is normal in the UK to get, you know, a cash gift for, for the bride and groom. So I said, how much should we get? And she said, I don't know, maybe... 150 pounds each. And I was thinking in myself, we were on, in the cab on the way to the wedding. I was thinking, oh, 150 pounds. Like yeah, it's a few days from payday. Like I just don't have it lying around. She was like, no problem. Super simple, super simple. Just take the money from your savings account and replace it in a few days when you get paid. And my response to her in the back of the cab was, uh, what savings? And I saw kind of the look of like, it was a bit mix of dread, horror, uh she was a bit scared like all these emotions on her face anyway the long story short she ended up loaning me the 150 pounds and i paid her back the next month and at 28 years old in the back of that cab and i couldn't scrounge together like 150 quid for my mate's wedding and having to rely on a new girlfriend like it was incredibly embarrassing but the sort of catalyst or the sort of the silver lining of that story is the kind of kick up the ass that I needed to kind of get my financial situation together. And so she expressed to me over the coming weeks, we started to open up, talk more about money. And she said, I I just want to build a life with someone who's financially reliable, not even rich or wealthy, nothing like that, but just someone you could trust and like be there to make some of the right decisions. And I just wasn't that person. So I started this four year journey of the books, the blogs, the podcasts, the week-long financial retreats, they do exist. And I kind of went on all of those and completely reversed my situation just through education and action. That's it. So now today, the kind of savings are strong, the debt's gone, like the investments are regular. We're pretty resilient investors and we do it regularly uh, and on path to be financially independent sort of a decade or two before that classic retirement age of 65. So just a complete 180 to my situation. So that's why I kind of started Tomi, which is to help other people have the same financial transformation I did, only faster with less mistakes and a community of really supportive people. That's awesome. Congratulations, first of all. Um, it's, it's amazing that these, these awesome journeys that, uh, and all these people I've spoken to um, that, that have ended up doing these things where they really help other people have all come from a moment of darkness themselves whether it's uh, even, even I feel really bad. I keep going back to myself, but whether it's me starting this podcast after a real battle with my own mental health. And I thought, how can I help people? And, and it sounds like that, that was exactly the case. Um, I mean, did you have that kind of altruistic side before or anything, or was it when you realized that you actually had a passion for, for this subject and you went, I've, I've gone through this, I've done this. I, I can really help someone. Or, or was that kind of side always there before that? 
So I think what had started to happen is that I was talking about it a little bit more openly with like friends and maybe some old colleagues. And they kept coming to me with the exact same questions that I was asking myself. How do I begin investing? What's the first step I need to take? How much do I need to retire or be financially free? I have absolutely no idea. What's this thing called a stocks and shares ESA account? Can I benefit from that? Like all these questions were everything that I just learned. And literally everyone in my circle of friends and family and colleagues and stuff were asking the same thing. So that's where I thought, okay, I... started talking to people just know how profoundly different my life is now versus the path I'm going down now versus the one I was going down with literally debt, no savings, and work was basically infinite for me. I would literally have been working forever if I didn't learn to sort of turn the ship. So I think that sort of deep satisfaction and fulfillment of helping others came through just helping some close family and friends. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things. It's a bit like a, you know, a network and, and that's how it starts. You know, you, I guess you, you chat to a couple of people and yeah, this, and it, it's almost like a passion starts to grow for it. You know, it's one of those things. And it's something I talk about a lot is, is people finding a, finding a passion and something that they enjoy talking about and things like that. And I suppose maybe I'm going back on myself, but I'm a bit of an advocate for finding and I'm sure you've got, you know, uh, something outside of work that you love doing as well. You know, what, what they call it extrinsic motive or intrinsic motivation, something that you do just for you, you know. But actually, if you can tie that to your job and if it's if you're helping, helping people always feels good as well, doesn't it? You know, if you realize oh, I'm really making a positive difference, that that sort of really, um, really starts to help. I suppose. Yeah, you need... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go you ahead. go, you go, you go. I was going to say, it was funny that you said like you were being open and honest. And I love that about money. Like you're making more money now than you had previously as like, like a windsurfer and stuff. I actually think I've inverted. So I made much more money in the corporate world in London. And actually when you begin a startup, like my salary was cut by 100%. Like I started at zero, zero money. Like it's not zero anymore, but it's certainly not where it was in the corporate world. But I would argue quite a lot that I'm, I'm much happier now. I think that's, that's something really valuable. And that's, I I had actually seen that uh, on LinkedIn. I'd seen you, you'd written a post about, about that, about, you know, you started this sort of career in finance and and things like that. And another reason why I was so interested is because I've, like you said, I've done the, the opposite. And my, um, my dad worked or still works, he's going to retire next year, but he worked in the city in London for 30 years in, uh, you know, insurance and finance and all that stuff. And, and the one of the biggest things he said, and I've had other people on the podcast who have done similar things, um, a man called Dickie, who was on the board for Citibank and all this. Uh, and he was like, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, and he, he very much said, very similar to what you said, um, of actually, I'm far happier with, with less and actually doing something more, not not productive, but more valuable with my time, you know. Um, and I think that's quite a big lesson for a lot of people because there are a lot of people out there in the city, kind of chasing the. I suppose they don't really know what they're chasing, other than just a bigger paycheck each month, you know. And the problem with that tactic of just like if you if you don't know what you're chasing and you don't know what the salary increases and the bonuses are for. It's kind of this this never ending game that you will lose or you'll never complete, which is the idea of getting more. So great, you get your your Porsche or your Lamborghini or your Ferrari. Okay, well, what's the next toy that you want to get? And you just keep pushing onwards and onwards. And there's there's it's it's a zero sum game. You're never going to be satisfied. Yeah. By yeah. the end of that, and that's why you see that there are lots of people with endless amounts of dough in their pockets and, and they're miserable because it's it, accumulating that money is not the sole end to sort of a happy life. Absolutely. You know, that's it. There's a lot, you know, a lot to be said about, uh, you know, material possessions and how, how that makes you or how that doesn't make you happy or people, people always think it does. And then there's so many accounts that you read about and, you know, posts on social media and documentaries and all this of people who, had all the money and then were like, do you know what? I was sitting there in my mansion with 10 cars in the driveway and I couldn't stop thinking about taking my own life or, you know, doing all this and they're miserable. 
And then on the other side, you've got these famous people. I just finished listening to um, a YouTuber called Mr. Beast, who pulls in hundreds and hundreds of millions a year. He was on Joe Rogan. And he has a Tesla and he lives in a 270 square meter foot apartment with his mate. He pays rent with his friend and he's worth hundreds of millions. And he's like, I'm happy. I just love doing what I do every day. He's not interested in it. And it was it, it was quite it was quite cool to hear. And he's he's very young. He's only 23. So usually you think when people are at that point in their life, they are going around buying all the cars and going, yeah, fuck you. I'm the king of the world, you know, um, and it's and yeah. I- and I have nothing wrong with people like this is where it's money becomes so, so personal to people because I, I don't sort of subscribe as well to like living in these ultra frugal life and cutting everything out. I, I also don't subscribe to that mantra either for people who like cars and like that is for them, like brings them joy. For me, it just doesn't. I've never been a car guy. Some of my friends are. They, they, they know every little detail about the engine on this specific model and it totally fires them up. So it makes sense that they would allocate some of their cash and their money and their capital to something like that, even though it is a quote unquote possession that brings them a lot of joy that for me, it just really doesn't move the needle at all. And there's no one person who's sort of better or more altruistic than the other. It's just that you want to find like, there's a US money pundit, his name's Ramit Sethi and he calls these our money dials. Like the things that move the needle for us, like these are the things we want to put our money into. It's just being hyper aware of those things that actually move the needle for you versus the ones that are possession status games that you're playing that don't actually bring you any sort of joy. Yeah, well, that's it. It's it's thinking that they move the needle because they move your friend's needles. You know, so you, you, do you know what you mean? Your friend walks in with a Rolex and your other mate's got a, tag on and you go oh well i i should probably spend three grand on a watch shouldn't i and actually you couldn't give a shit you know but you you feel like like you just said that that word status i think is a huge word when it comes to to money and things and it's so easy to end up feeling you know lonely and left out if your friendship group are all you know going for big dinners and they've all got expensive watches and i don't i don't know uh you know anything like that and you sit there and go hang on a minute like whether you earn enough or not to keep up, you know, you may be sitting there going, that's not, not really for me, you know? And it's amazing. We have, so I don't know where they come from, but they have the, we have these invisible scripts around money as well. I'll never forget when I started um, to work at, I worked for Manchester United, the football club for a while. Nice. And I'll never forget that they gave me a car allowance. And in my paycheck, like part of the compensation package was like a car allowance. So I came home to my girlfriend or like wife, wife at the now wife, girlfriend at the time. I was like, we've got this extra money. Like, let's go car shopping. And she's like, what for? We live in central London. (laughs) How often do you, would you use this car? And I was like, uh, but, but I have 500 pounds I can put towards a car. And she's like, you don't need to do that. Like you don't have it, but like, you can just fall into these things like just so quickly without being kind of more aware of them. And I think that probably had something to do with the status game. You know, my colleagues at work were all talking about the new Lexus or the new Mercedes they were getting. And I think there was an element of fitting in. I think there was an element of showing off or something in there emotionally that made me want to get the car when rationally it was just, it made absolutely no sense for our life, literally. Uh, But I still got sucked into that game. Yeah. Well, you always get those, uh, you know, you get those like car guys who, you know, they still they still live at home and, you know, maybe give their mom a couple hundred quid a month. But they finance, they spend 800 quid a month on a finance for a new BMW so they can drive around town, you know, feeling like a big dog. Um, And it's always that juxtaposition of like looking like you've got your life together versus actually having your life together, you know. And a lot of these material possessions, I think, are often a. A kind of mask for someone who actually is pretty inherently unhappy you know has, has that been your experience working with people with their finances and stuff have you worked with anyone like that who kind of looks to maybe plug some of those like short term with a bit of like dopamine boost from spending on certain yeah things? absolutely I'm, yeah i'm sure we're all guilty of it you know but yeah definitely i've definitely worked with employees who do that and i definitely noticed it with myself when i was not overly happy with my last job in the corporate world, but it was paying really well. 
I noticed my behaviors, like the wines were nicer, the vacations were better, the dinners out were more baller and more frequent <laughs> because that was like, that was what I was doing to justify, well, shit, if I'm not happy in this job and it pays really well, like I might as well enjoy spending the money. Like that was kind of the, the, and they, and it would, it would help for such a short period of time. Like for that hour or two, I was at dinner, no problem. It would paste over and I'd feel happy and it would be great. But as soon as that dinner was done, it's kind of going, oh yeah, my 50 hours a week that I spend somewhere unhappy is having a far greater impact than the one to two hour dopamine hit I get from a, from a bougie dinner out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that brings me really nicely on to um, a huge, it's something I talk about an awful lot and, and without going you know too much into to my story, one, the listeners have probably heard it a million times before, um, but two, this podcast is about you. Um, but, um, you know, a, a big thing for me, uh, I basically, I, I quit my job in, uh, September, 2019, completely rearranged the way I live my life, went freelance. And now I work on my own time and terms and everything like that. Um, and one of the big things, reasons for that was I realized the most important currency for me was time. Um, whether it's looking at a wind forecast and realizing there's two or three days of wind coming up in the middle of the week and going, do you know what? Um, I need that time for me so that I can go windsurfing. It's not, you can't windsurf every day. You need to, you need it, certain conditions to line up. So I went every time there's conditions, I can take time off work. So I went to me, that is inherently more important than earning that extra bit, you know, having an extra client. So I make some more money. You know, that was, that, that was my currency. I watched, yeah, Dr. Phil talked about it. It was the first time I saw it. He talked about people having different currencies and, you know, whether it's money or, or time or anything like that. Um, and how how do you view that? Because you've again, you've come from the other end of the spectrum. You started off making a load of money and stuff, and I'm sure you were working crazy hours. But now you're running a startup, which I'm sure is also crazy hours. But you're doing something you're, you're passionate about. But what how 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 does that work with you? And, and do you think you have a, a kind of currency or? Yeah. How do you and how do you convey that to your clients? So that, that idea of like time being currency is one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And there was one specific moment where I had this inflection point on that financial journey. I was starting to educate myself about money. I wanted to reverse my situation. And then I read something, an article, a blog post that literally changed everything for me. And it was all about that relationship with money and time. And so I think we have this, we always talk about time being this, a finite resource that we can never get back. But you, what I found from this article, and I'll explain it in a second, was you can actually buy your time back in the future. And so what this article was called was it was by a guy named Mr. Money Mustache. I'm not sure if you have heard of this character. <laughs> I haven't heard of Mr. Money Mustache. But he's basically uh, the godfather of financial independence, retire early. So this idea of like extreme saving and investing to allow you to step away from the corporate world. For him, it was 38 years old. He had enough investment money to live off of indefinitely into the future. So he owned his own time 100%. Nice. And so he has this article on his blog called The Shockingly Simple Math to Retiring Early. And it was a really short blog post, but there was one graphic that kind of gave an example of just a regular ordinary person. I think the salary example they used was like $50,000 or 50,000 pounds. And it showed you your savings rate and the time that you could step away from full-time work. Right. So if you save 0% of your income, you will never, ever realistically be able to stop working or get off the hamster wheel. If you actually put away 5% or invest, save and invest 5% of your money, I think it was 55 years and I was thinking, oh God, okay, well, that's better than never, but 55 yeah. years is still a long time. And you kept going down, okay, if you saved 10% instead of five, suddenly you chopped 15 years off of that date oh, wow. just by saving that little bit more. And he goes through and it goes down the list of 30%, 50% of your salary. And it starts to get to the area of if you can save 50% of your income and invest it, it brought the retirement length to 14 years. So it's a balance of how much you're saving and investing and putting away that savings rate 
and the cost of your lifestyle. If you can keep it at that sort of 50,000 pounds, it's like, it's not someone who was going spending a million pounds a year, the math wouldn't work. Yeah. But if you keep that lifestyle kind of in check and save 50% of your salary, 14 years instead of infinity. And so I started to learn the relationship, actually money, you can use it to invest and sort of start to buy your time back in the future. Mm -hmm. And also the other thing that I learned, it wasn't about that date. Like in, in 14 years, I'll have my time back. I will be happy. What I started to realize is each stage of the wealth building process unlocked more time and autonomy for yourself. Mm -hmm. So someone who's maybe saves their first 50,000 pounds in the bank, suddenly they have like maybe a year's runway. Okay, th that gives you more options. Once you build that investment pot, it keeps growing maybe a little bit more, maybe you're at you know, 200,000 in your investments and pensions. Suddenly, like you just, again, it goes back to that. You have more options. You can, yeah. you can take six months off. You can make a career pivot. You can change. You have enough security there. So like each level of like the wealth building process from zero to whatever that magic number that you have is just gives you more time and more options to choose how you want to spend your day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a rabbit hole for so many people, especially those in their kind of, you know, twenties and thirties, I suppose. But then on, on the, on the other side of that, I've, and I've heard this argument a lot and I'm, you know, I think I probably made it myself is actually there's a lot of people, you know, younger people now that are like, well, what's the point? You know, there, there is these people that go, well, you know, what's the point? One, I'm never going to earn that much. And two, never going to be able to buy a house and, and all this. Do you think often that is is perhaps a little bit of, um, you know, people just plastering themselves as victims? I can't, I can't think of the word now that I say it. But, you know, yeah, people just brand themselves as a victim. And, well, I'm never going to be able to afford it. And actually, it's like, well, you know, you, you, you probably can. You've just got to, like you said, you've just got to save some money. And that, it, that in itself is so difficult for so many people, isn't it? You know? Yeah. I don't want to, I feel like there's two camps of people and I don't want to be yeah. insensitive to the people that are maybe really going through some tough, tough financial struggles. Well, that's, yeah, that's different. different. Yeah. That's different. And I think yeah. if we can park those people to the side for a second yeah. and understand that they have some extenuating circumstances, I think there are a lot of people that just go, well, I, I it's just not possible for me yeah. and not willing to make any sort of changes or do a bit of self-reflection and say, do I need those? Especially, it was the same with me. I looked at my sort of spending behavior and I was like, do I need the four nights at the pub per week with my mates? Yeah. Two's still pretty good. I get the social yeah. thing. I, it, that's good. I don't, I don't need four. So I think for me for four or five years was, was a lot of laziness, a lot of non, I just wasn't working at it. And I just, I just didn't see the value of, of really doing it until I had all those moments where I was like, Oh shit, you can actually invest, build wealth, own your time. Like these are all things that really excite me versus I think a lot of things in the personal finance are like, well, you should put away for a rainy day. And you're like, well, yeah, but there's no, there's nothing fun about that. There's no end goal to that. Yeah. Whereas if you can start thinking about using money to like craft this rich life and buy your time back, those things are far more exciting than, well, you should just save because it's important to do. Yeah. Yes. But what is it for? Like, why are we doing this? So I think to be honest, a lot of people, it is again, parking that group aside. I think it is a lot of, a bit of just, well, well, I, I just can't. And I would love to see those people spending behaviors because it, it always the, the, uh, the saying goes is like, show me where your priorities are. Just well, show me where your money's going and I'll tell you where your priorities are. Yeah. Because that is a lot of times uh, where we actually, you know, we put our money where we think our priorities are and actually they're not that big a priority. Yeah. So I think people, yeah, even just starting to say, I think the average savings rate in the UK is 5% of, of people's income. Uh, I would love to see as a nation that just get a little bit higher. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, like you said, I think a lot of it, especially when communicating this to, you know, younger people and stuff, I suppose it's, it's about framing the narrative, you know, like, like you said, there, there is that narrative of like, and, and, and money is so taboo in the first place as well. It's like, no, 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 you know, and, and now, you know, from, from my point of view, it's, we can sit and talk about mental health all day and people taking their own lives. And we still don't talk about that enough, but you know that, but still we don't, we don't go, oh, do you know what? Like I am a bit anxious about money. 
and I am a bit anxious about money, but I'm still not going to save it because what's the point? A bloody rainy day. What, like, like you said, that's such a good example. My saving for a rainy day of actually going, you know, like, I suppose, yeah, if, if there was a way it was easy to crunch the numbers and go, yeah, actually, if I put this much away in, in a few years' time, I might actually have enough to buy a little house or I might have enough to actually go, do you know what? I'm going to take a year out and go traveling. You know, if that's what you want to do, like you said, everyone, everyone is so different and there's no, that's something I have realized as well is there is no right or wrong way to do anything. You know, whether it's uh, in investing, if you want to buy a house, buy a house. If you don't want to buy a house, that's equally fine. If you want to spend your money traveling for the next three years, that's also absolutely fine. You know, but yeah, I think that's really, really good. What you said is actually, you know, reframing the narrative of why people need to be saving in the first place, rather than just going, well, I'll just do it for a rainy day, you know? So there's two examples that I'd love to use. One, you, you hit it spot on. When young people, when you talk to them about, when you say the word pension to young people, like in the workforce, like 20, 25, even 30, they're basically, can I, are you okay with like cursing on the podcast? Curse as much as you like, my friend. <laughs> They kind of look at you and go, who gives a shit about 30 years time, 35 years? Like, I might not even be here. Like, yeah. YOLO, let's do this. And there's a point where I sympathize with that. I do understand that. But as I just mentioned, it's not necessarily the pot of gold at 55 or at 65. It's your journey along, your financial journey through life gets easier. Yeah. So if the, if the person at 20, 25 puts 200 into their pension, no questions asked, and they do that forever, Suddenly that person in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, when they're earning more money, getting pay raises, getting bonuses, are spending that on a new surfboard, traveling around the world, doing all of those fun things because they had that little hygiene thing about putting 200 away in their pension set up from the beginning. Whereas the person at 35 who goes, oh yeah, that pension thing, I should really get on that. Suddenly they're spending their 40s and 50s pumping more money into their pension and retirement accounts because they don't have time on their side. Time yeah. is the most important thing when it comes to investing. So they spend their forties and fifties earning more, but a lot of their disposable income has to go to funding their retirement. So they don't eat cat food when they're older. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's kind of this idea that it's not just like do this 200 a month, wait till you're 65 and you'll be good. No, 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 no. All through the journey, your life and financial life will become easier and you can spend money on those extra things because your future's solid from the jump. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's another thing as well is not only it's reframing the narrative, but also um, people are often so focused on the destination rather than actually the, the, the journey of it and how, how much easier it's going to make your life in five years, 10 years. 15 years rather than 35 years. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's it actually realizing this is a, it's a process, not just a slog. And then eventually, you know, you get to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And I think one of the things in our, like we all experience it in our current culture is everything is instant, right? Whether it's delivery apps, whether it's trying to flip your investments overnight on this crypto explosion, like we want that immediate gratification and the quicker, the better, I don't want to wait and unfortunately, when it comes to like actually good investing and saving and building wealth, there's no sort of like hack or massive shortcut to it. There's ways you can improve it and get better, but you know, investing over the long term is there's there's a formula to it to it, and it's it's sort of low and slow. It's sort of steady wins the race, and there's you know we hear stories of the crypto overnight millionaire, and everyone goes, all employees I talk to are like some of them only own cryptocurrency, nothing else in investments, which are insanely risky, yeah. but they would rather that sort of golden Willy Wonka ticket that can be cashed in very, very quickly versus sort of, you know, a proven formula to getting rich over 20, 30, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. But again, I, I like, again, it's, I, it just come for me, it always just comes down to like people, you know, at the end of the day, I suppose for you, you're you're looking at it from a far more educated perspective than me, and it literally is your day job. But from 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 my point of view, as as I've said, what I've learned is like, it's it's kind of everyone's own journey, isn't it? You know, and and ultimately, you know, going back to like even just uh, you know spending on what you like spending money on, it's like realizing that that's okay. But also, if you're going to spend all your money on that, maybe save a little bit on this side of things. You know, it's 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 for me, uh, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan. 
Um, and the, you know, the force is all about balance. And I think a lot of things in life are all about balance as well. You know, actually, you know, realizing, do you know what? I've spent a load here. And and I, I used to be really bad at it as well. Uh, ever since my first season working abroad and I racked up a very, 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 very large bar tab over the course of six months to the point where I couldn't basically go home and my dad had to pay it off for me. And after that, I was like, I'm never getting to that point again. And I learned that lesson when I was 20 years old. And I, I kind of sit back now and I go to my dad, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. And I've never had a tab in a bar ever again, working all these seasons. All my mates had tabs. I said, no, 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 I'm not doing it. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I learned quite a valuable lesson there of actually, you, it's easy to go, oh, I'll just borrow money. But actually it makes you feel like shit for a start. And it's very anxiety inducing going, well, yeah, how, how am I going to, how am I going to pay this off? Um, but yeah, it's a difficult lesson. And do, you, and do you feel like you, from that experience, that sort of changed something within you? What 100%. Yeah. I went from, uh, the first couple of years of my, I suppose, adult life, I uh, moved to Australia when I was 18, lived there and then, then did a few seasons abroad. And so from 18 to 20, I was pretty flippant with my money. Um, actually the first year, Which I think it's quite natural for that age group and, uh, having, yeah. and having fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, and, and I don't, I don't regret it, but I, I went to Australia and I had, I, I was working in water sports in Australia, but I was get you know, it's not like doing a season. I was getting paid a proper wage and I had quite a bit of money. And even now to this day, and I wouldn't have any of that money left now, but I almost regret not saving it a bit because I came back with Australia from Australia with no money. You know, and then I went straight into this season in Greece um, and I racked up this enormous bar tab. And then, yeah, the end of that season, my, my dad had to pay off for me. Um, and I felt I think I just felt a bit stupid. That's the only thing I would say. I felt I felt stupid. I was like, these guys, you know, they're. I mean, it's not like they're going to chase me to the airport with shotguns. Like I was friends with them, but they were like, look, you owe us a lot of money. And I was like, well, I, I don't I don't have it, you know, and I, I, I just felt really stupid. And, and since then, yeah, as I said, um, I've become, yeah, pretty, I'm, I like to think I'm pretty good with savings. But like you said, I think there's such a fine balance of not being frugal with it. I think it's important to to enjoy it. It's so important to enjoy life because ultimately, yeah, of course, it's about, you know, saving for, for, for the future and, and building that, you know, financial freedom and all that. But at the same time, I also am a bit of an advocate for trying to enjoy yourself now because you don't really know what might happen. But again, there's a balance, isn't there? There's a fine balance to be had. Yeah, there's definitely a fine balance. And that is a complete trial and error perspective over time for each of us as individuals. Like we don't have this beautiful, beautiful flat line trajectory with our money either, right? Both of I, yeah. both you and I have just shared on this episode, wild changes and swings, both sort of up and down with our money and with our lifestyle. And, and that's going to happen for everyone. You know, kids yeah. are going to come into the fold. They cost money and we'll get a pay raise. All, that's what makes this money thing also very complicated is because it's never beautifully static. Yeah, It's not sort of, I have a 60 grand salary. My expenses stay the same for 40 years. Like that just does not happen yeah. to anyone really. Yeah. So again, that's kind of another thing of why I really encourage people to kind of lean in and start thinking about these things. Am I spending, is my spending aligned with my values? Kind of, am I, am I being an effective spender? Am I putting some stuff away for the future? And just constantly playing with that balance because for me, it's changed over time and I think yeah. it will continue to. Yeah. Well, it's changed for me as well. Do you, do you think that's why um, potentially it causes so much anxiety among people? Because, you know, a, a lot of the things that make us as humans anxious are things we can't control. You know, when we get on a plane, we surrender all control and we're completely in the hands of the pilot and, you know, gravity, you know, <laughs> you know, when, when we, there's, there's so many things in life that we do uh, where we kind of surrender control and it generally always makes us anxious. Do you think that's why uh, money makes us anxious and also in turn why we don't talk about it as much and things because it is so fluid? You know, for, for me, I'm, I'm, I've got my own, I suppose you could say business, but I'm a freelancer, essentially. But basically, I, I don't get paid the same month to month, let alone year to year. You know, I, I couldn't tell you, you know, because it because it changes depending on which work, what work I'm doing and, and, and things like that. And sometimes that is anxiety inducing. And even for people with a solid paycheck, they go, well, where am I going to be in a year? Or as you said, like, 
shit, we're having a baby in six months. You know, uh, how's that going to change things? And, 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 you know, buying a house and, you know, cause it is so fluid. Do you think that's uh, a big factor for the, the anxiety around money? I probably say there's two big factors for the anxiety around money. And you mentioned that word control. I think there are many of us and myself included, you know, my, my kind of journey is just almost this a bit apathy towards money, just kind of like, yeah, it'll come in. I spend it. Don't really know where it goes. Uh, there'll be another check coming in at the end of the month from my employer. Like it'll replenish. And I think sometimes the anxiety comes around is like, like you don't really have a lot, like a lot of, like you have control on where your money's going, but you're not conscious of it. Yeah. And so I think we've all had that scenario where we go around the city and we tap now on our cars, yeah. it's basically frictionless. Dangerous. And then we get to the end of the month and we go, Oh crap. Where, where did that go? What, how on earth did it disappear? And so not having that sort of visibility and control, I think, does cause anxiety for people, yeah. which is why I love things like Monzo or Money Dashboard or things that make it so effortless to like visually track where your money's kind yeah. of going month to month. I love that to reduce. So there's a fine balance for some people. Uh, I think just having a general overview is, is lowers your anxiety around money. It's nice to see just Generally, I have control. I know where things go. I know how much goes to sort of needs, wants. That, that's a good, that's a good exercise. But it also is anxiety inducing if you ask people to like go granular on like every category. They've got like different pie charts. Like you don't need this to be another full-time job for yourself. That can actually be more anxiety inducing for some people as like it's too much but I really do like sort of money dashboard. You can set just like one monthly budget. I'd love to spend less than 3000 pounds. And you can kind of really see as you're tracking very easily along the month. And so for me, I think that's a positive thing to lower your anxiety. So control and visibility is definitely number one. Yep. And I think the second thing is just how frequent our money decisions are. So when you have something that sort of gives you anxiety, maybe it's some like presentation at work or a project at school, these things have a bit of an end to them. Like they'll come and go out of your life, but they're not permanently there. Whereas money, I make hundreds, if not thousands of little mini, some big, some small, lots of tiny decisions every month about money it's just a permanent fixture there so i think it's also about the frequency of how much you have to think about this money stuff it's not just kind of a one-off and it goes away it's always there and why i want people to kind of learn to live with that feelings those feelings yeah absolutely that's yeah that's something i didn't think about either actually like not only is it a lack of control but also it's it's yeah it's so endlessly present in, in life and ultimately it affects every important decision that you make. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely, a, I like, I like what you said as well about, about control. I, if anything, I'm the other way. I almost obsessively check my banking apps every, like three or four times a day, almost to the point where like my girlfriend or, you know, will will be like, just, it's still there. Chill out. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah it, it's, it's, it, and it's bad. And I, you know, even even say you know I go like like today I went and took um, some money out of the cash point to go and pay for my my jujitsu lesson and I, I went and did that and then I checked my banking app on the way home to be like just make sure that you know I've done and I'm like what what what's it going to tell me you know it so, doesn't so I'd be curious if over this last like this last day I wonder how many minor like this mini financial decisions you were making like they're not they're not world beaters like okay I gotta go to the money and take out cash for jujitsu it's not like a really it's not a tough exercise but like think about how many dozens of those little yeah. things that you have every day and again that's where I talk about sort of the frequency of things yeah absolutely it does it does um it does chip away at it um, so uh, quickly before we go, I know you've got to go in, in about 10 minutes. Um, one of the other things around anxiety, so we, we've led quite nicely into it and we mentioned it. Um, something else, you know, for me with mental health and things like that, the, the whole aim of this podcast is to uh, encourage more people to talk about their mental health. And, and you've said it as well. You know, there are a lot more people talking about it, you know, wh whether that's making a difference uh, within mental health is a conversation for another day. Um, but you that's what you want to do with with finances as well. Um, and things like that why 
obviously maybe we've already answered this question over you know the last 40 minutes on the podcast but why do you think it is that we don't talk to our our friends we you know about about money i mean i as i said before we hit record um i don't i'm not going to sit here and go yeah i've got loads of mates but i've got quite a lot of you know close friends i've got maybe 10 10 or 15 like you know what i would call pretty pretty close mates and only i only have one of them that i will openly discuss money with we both sit there and we go yeah you know he's got his own couple of businesses and and um you know myself with what i do we'll both sit there and go yeah i make this and i make this and you know what what do you how do you do investing and what do you do and i do this and stuff and and every time we do it i always feel great and i always feel like i'm not the only human in the world trying to deal with this thing because you it's it's so silly that we feel alone about it because we all use it every day you know but what what are your thoughts on that why why do you think it is that we struggle so much to talk to each other about this this subject <laughs> I feel like what I'm going to answer might be a little bit too simplistic, but I do feel it's like these societal narratives that we've been told for a long time. And so I know for one, like if you ask most people, like they would agree, yeah, it's rude to talk about money. Yeah. And you're thinking like, well, what, like, yes, it can be if you're being a total jerk about things and like trying to flash all the money you make and bragging about your salary. Of course, that is incredibly rude. But to blanket that statement of it's rude to talk about money is it's just not, it's not right. It's really, really harmful to the conversation. And I also think it happens when in the household growing up and how your, um, how the subject of money is treated kind of around the kitchen table, the dinner table, whatever that may be. My dad, even though my accent right now is Canadian, my dad's English, born and bred in London. And he's the, the irony of it, he's a financial advisor, which is the irony that I didn't learn this money stuff growing up. But the second thing is he's just very kind of traditionally English, stiff upper lip, yeah. don't kind of talk about these things. And that's what I learned at the dinner table. Like I still to this day have no idea if my dad made 10 grand or a million dollars a year. I have no idea. And I think that shows just kind of the way money was handled in my household. It was just kind of don't ask, you know, don't talk about it. So I got conditioned from quite a young age that it's kind of a no fly zone. It's like a no talk about area. Whereas by contrast, my wife, She's uh, half Canadian, half Polish, and her parents were emigrated from Poland to Canada about 30 years ago. She has the opposite experience. Right. She, and it's quite rare, her experience from what I, what I hear from my friends. This is very, very rare. But her, like, it was, dad opened up the spreadsheet on the table with the kids. Like, everything was transparent. Guys, I've been made redundant. This is our new financial situation. That, like, all of these conversations were happening at her dinner table that were not at mine. So I think that's another point of it. One, I think is just general society. And two, I think it's really how you're conditioned as, as a youngster. And I think most people lean probably towards my family's camp than my wife's. Do you, um, I mean, obviously, you know, don't, don't need to answer this, but does that mean, does your, would you say your wife, because of that, has quite a healthy relationship then with, with you know, finance and, and talking about money? I know you mentioned earlier that you guys are kind of both building towards, you know, being that. Has she... Has she always been quite open about it then because she had that upbringing? Yes, I think so. I think the short answer of it is, is yes. It was just normal to talk about these things about, Ooh, we're a bit tight this month or, Ooh, we're, we're flush with cash this month. What should we do with it? Like those were happening at, from a very, very young and a very, very early age. Yeah. Um, so I think definitely she just felt more confident and comfortable about sort of the basics around money that I just kind of neglected and the extra dynamic for her as well. And, and I can't speak for every uh, first generation, um, I'm getting this wrong, first generation or second generation family, but anyway, who parents emigrated from a new country, especially from a very poor country, yeah. they were quite poor growing up in the household. So it was, it was something that was regularly talked about because you had to, it, you really couldn't um, avoid it because especially in, when you're starting a brand new life in a country you don't really speak the language like these are things you have to be aware of so I think that extra element of growing up quite 
quite poor from a from an immigrant type family also probably added a dynamic of that I didn't experience growing yeah. up either. I was probably more middle middle class. I would probably argue if that's even a thing. Um, and so, yeah, we just didn't have maybe some of those tougher conversations that she and her family might have had to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I know you've uh, you've got to head off, but I mean that was um, it's extremely enlightening, mate. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on. Um, I suppose just to to finish off then, and maybe this is a really corny question. Um, but what if, if anyone that's listening, you know, if they want to, um, yeah, if, if they're worried about any of this stuff, if they're anxious about money, if they want to try and improve their situation, do you have any kind of uh, single great bits of advice that you've heard or that you've had um, and then follow that up with where, where people can find you as well? Um, I don't know if I have the sort of bottle, like the, the sort of lightning in a bottle type answer for people about sort of how to alleviate that anxiety around money. It's my, my, my answer might be as, I don't think the question was corny, but my answer might be corny is finding outlets where you can actually start opening up and talking about it. Like think of it, treat it almost like your mental health, right? The yes. reason that I think it's been so brilliant, the mental health movement is because now we have, it's, we're normalizing the conversation. We have a lot more outlets we can go to, whether that's own personal therapy, whether that's benefits you have through the workplace, but we're just so much more aware and actually not letting it sort of fully bottle up inside. And I think that is, again, the key for, for money as well. It's, it's money is a part of our mental health. They're just intrinsically yeah. linked. Yeah. So if you can, and it's difficult to do, but if you can find that friend that maybe you have found to confide in and actually just express how you're feeling because the more I was bottling it up inside, it just was a, it was a bad cycle where it was getting worse because I was internalizing everything. My monkey brain was going crazy with it. Like I was doing all sorts of doomsday scenarios. And although it was extremely painful, that story I shared about my wife, it was really, really painful and embarrassing for the first time I was able to just really like, here's ever like, here's my situation. And that was, very, very cathartic. So whether it's finding that friend, like you have, um, us at Tomi, we're starting actually our first ones tomorrow, hosting in-person personal finance meetups in London. Awesome. So actually just coming together as a small group, smashing these taboos, talking about money. You, you, are you smashing it with investing? Are you having trouble saving? Like we've been through it all. So let's just openly talk about it. So we're trying to create those spaces as well. Um, and, and I know there are groups that you can do that. So I think the, the summarize that the more you can sort of get it out of your own brain and the more you can open up and actually communicate it with other people, it is cathartic in the long run, although maybe painful in the short run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As you said, it's, it's so great. The, the comparison with mental health, because I genuinely think it does. Like I said, when every time me and my friend have a, a discussion about money and often it's not, we don't sit there and go, right, let's talk about money. It just, it just, it's become an organic part of our conversations now. You know, and it, it just leads into it. And, and every time it happens and I say it's something to him and it might be on my mind, I always kind of sit back and go, oh, yeah, I feel I feel better. You know, and I, I imagine feel... that you're I imagine you're not locked in a status game of comparison. It's more of a knowledge sharing exercise of like, yeah. actually, what are you doing? Is it different than what I'm doing? And it's, yeah. it's more it's a positive versus kind of Absolutely. Yeah, a bit of a yeah, status game. Well, yeah, that's exactly. You know, there's no. um for lack of a better term, there's no dick measuring involved. You know, there's no, there's, there's none of that, you know, it's, and, and he's in, he's in a different situation. He's been investing for far longer than me. And, um, you know, I, his business model runs differently. So, uh, he, he doesn't pay himself that much and, you know, things like that. So we have really great, you know, discussions about it. And, and it, like you said, it's, it's a discussion. It's not, Oh, well, I do this. Well, well, I do this. And, you know, it's not, there's no ego in there. Um, and I think that's awesome. And, and by the sounds of it, that's exactly what you're what you're doing with Tommy, especially with these meetups and stuff. You know, you've probably got people in there earning lots of money investing and people in there going, I'm just trying to learn to save. But actually, if it can be done in an environment without ego, without judgment, the same with mental health. That's where that's where things really start to become healed and people are really going to start becoming more comfortable with it. So, yeah, I c commend you. Um, finishing off, Patrick, where where can people find out about this if they you know, if they're in London and they want to get involved or if they just want to find out more about what you do? Yeah, so I'm super active on LinkedIn. So just Patrick Van on LinkedIn. So I do post there a few times a day. I try and do it as much as I possibly can. And then our company is 
www.tomitribe.com, two eyes in Tomi, T-O-M-I-I, tribe.com. And that's where we promote a lot of our events and, and kind of things like that. I'm on LinkedIn promoting events as well. So uh, if, yeah, talking about money is your jam and you want to sort of level up your financial IQ, no matter where you're starting from, as you say, learn to save or a savvy investor, we're all about talking and helping people no matter where they are in their journey. So you can reach me at those two places. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you are checking out, guys, make sure to look in the, in the show notes uh, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify and you'll find all the links down there as well. Um, thank you so much uh, for listening, guys. Uh, thank you very much to Patrick for coming on. Um, I hope you guys have taken something away from this conversation. As I said, it's been one I've been wanting to have for a while and I'm very fortunate that I found an expert like Patrick um, willing to talk about it. So thank you. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, guys, at the After Hours Lounge. Uh, if you are enjoying the conversations, you can go to the link in my bio there and you can donate to the podcast. As I say, all this talking is thirsty work. So if you want to buy me a beer, you can do it through there. Um, but if not, please just give me a thumbs up. Give me a like, a subscribe on the podcast platforms. Give me a little rating. I'm still hunting for whoever it was that left me a one star review. One day I'll find you. Um, but yeah, everyone else has been very nice. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you once again to Patrick. Uh, and we will see you guys for the next one.